hear the word preached in its context, and it has, a, it has a building effect in our hearts as we hear what the Lord is doing, what he's bringing to us through a book like what we're going through here, 1 Samuel. So the title this morning is Kings Who Flee. That's what we're going to see. Now, the past couple of weeks, I'd say the last three weeks, I've made mention of the fact that we don't want to moralize people in Scripture. In this case, it's David. But I want you to think a little bit about different, maybe we would call them heroes in Scripture. Abraham. Abraham was a man who risked his own wife's safety. And yet, the Lord calls him a friend of God. Jacob was a liar and a cheat. And yet, we know him by this phrase, the God of Jacob. Peter and the disciples Well, they were quite the mess. They were the disciples. David, we have seen, uh, he has lied. He wanted to kill Nabal and all of Nabal's people, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. So how do we square this? What do we do with Scripture? Well, what I love and what we've been trying to communicate is the Bible is honest, and I appreciate the Bible's honesty. It is real, it is raw, and it shows us humanity not at its best, but humanity as it is. Humanity uh, honestly. And I need that so that my heroes aren't so perfected that I go, I don't even know what to do with this. But if we can come to scripture and realize, oh, I'm like these men or women. I am a sinner in need of a savior. Praise be to God. The Savior came to save us from our sins. And so as we're reading scripture, don't moralize these individuals, but but recognize, oh, they're like me, sinner in need of a Savior. Okay, now the Bible is a mirror. And so we hold the Bible up before us. Now, it's not a carnival mirror, all right? It's not a distorted picture. It shows you as you are, and you want that. You want that. You don't want to wake up in the morning and go to the mirror and have some sort of mirror, maybe like it's an app on your phone that kind of perfects you. You don't want that. You want honesty in your mirror, right? You want to know if you got some eczema in your teeth, you want to know, right? And you want to address that. If your hair is a mess, you don't want your mirror to fix that so that you don't go into public. Well, that's what scripture does for us. It's a mirror and you want it to speak to you honestly. You want to see yourself as you are and we are sinners in need of a savior. So you might say, Abraham, Moses, David, these guys, they're a mess. Why would you want to study a a book with guys like that? And I would tell you, well, because they're guys like that. You want to study a book like this. Why I would probably twist it and say, why would you want to study a book that pretends that they're all perfected when they're not? I like the honesty, the realism, the mirror that Scripture is. And so what we're going to see this morning is that we have two kings fleeing. And we're going to see both the future king, David, and the current king, Saul, both of them have fallen short of the glory of God. All right, so let's pray and we're going to dive in. Lord, we ask for your help, your wisdom, your strength, your guidance this morning. We take these next moments of our week to intentionally preach your word that we might be instructed by it. Lord, hold the mirror up before us. 
Hold the mirror up before us. Help us to see ourselves as we are. Show us where we need to repent and cry out to you for help, for help is here. You are here. You are available by your spirit. Come speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, let's dive in. Point number one is the future king flees to the enemy. He flees to the enemy. Let's read together verses number one and two. Then David said in his heart, Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. Problem. He's going to run to the enemy for his safety. Problem. Then Saul will despair of seeking me any longer within the borders of Israel. Problem, Israel is the promised land. And I shall escape out of his hand. So David arose, went over, and and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And so here you have verses 1 and 2. And you've been with us over the weeks. David's been on the run, about nine chapters of run. It's day in and day out. It's about 10 years of his life that we've covered probably in about four weeks. I don't know. Run, run, run. So different day, same threat. Saul is seeking to hunt him down to his death. But what's different here in chapter uh, 27 is that on this day, new strategy is introduced. And the new strategy is to go to the Philistines, so to go to the enemy. And at this point, we might want to say to David, let's have coffee. Let's have coffee. I'll meet you in the cave, and we're going to have coffee. And some of the things that we might communicate is, hey, David, you know, the Lord has promised. You, you do remember that Samuel anointed you to be king. The Lord has promised, Right? We might, we might want to remind him of the Lord's faithfulness, how the Lord has preserved you all these years. It has been so difficult, but recognize the Lord has pre- pre- um, preserved you. The hand of Saul, it says, is, is against him in verse one, but recognize the hand of Saul has not touched you, right? Instead, you have had the hand of the Lord upon you. Remember back in chapter 23, Saul had you pinned down. You were trapped when a random guy came to report to you, to Saul, that the Philistines were attacking back home. Saul had to pack up the army, give up the chase, go protect from the invading army, the Philistines. The Lord has protected you. The Lord has provided. We might say, David, Saul is king but he's powerless to defeat you. Why? Well, because he's not fighting you. He's fighting the greater king, the king of Israel. He's fighting against God. You know, Abigail said in chapter 25, if men rise up to pursue you, speaking to David, and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living in the care of the Lord your God, and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the hollow of a sling. Abigail, we said a couple weeks ago, she, she delivered that speech so well. 
But now he flees to Gath. He's done this once before. It wasn't good the previous time either when he, when he uh, pretended to be insane and he's got spittle running down his beard. But at this point, he is desperate. And so he's going to run. He's going to take his friends and they, all of them will run to Philistia. And it can also be easy for us to read this and think kind of maybe self-righteously, David, David, trust the Lord. You know, we throw out some good cliches out there to David, trust the Lord. Um, And certainly he needs to. David, God will be faithful. Certainly those are true, but we can approach that self-righteously. It's amazing how gracious we can be with ourselves and how exacting and theological we can be with each other. When life is run for your life difficult, when you feel that there's nowhere else to turn, when you're tired and exhausted and beat down, imagine David's blood pressure. (laughs) It's out the roof with no end in sight. Where do you run? Where do I run? Well, in verse 2, it shows us that he will run to Gath. And it says, he arose and went over. It literally means that David crossed over. That's the, that's the original idea. He crossed over. It, it would be like me saying, you know what, everyone, for those of you who don't know, this is my wife, Kim, up front here. And if I was to say to you, you know, Kim and I, you know, we're kind of not doing too well. Our marriage has been pretty rough. Actually, it's been rough for quite a few years, and uh, I'm going to cross over. I'm going to go to the enemy. I'm going to go to enemy territory for help and preservation and safety and security. Because, you know, it's not really working out for me in the community of God. I'm going to go to look to the world rather than to look to the Lord for solution. None of you can help people of God, and the word of God isn't going to be my source either. You see, church, it's a big deal what David is doing here. He's going to Gath. It's not just another place with more caves. This is enemy territory, Gath. It's the hometown of Goliath. This is Philistia. He is saying, I am leaving Israel. I am leaving the promised land of God I'm leaving the place where God provides for his people and I am crossing over into enemy territory. He is looking to the enemy now to provide for him what the Lord provides for him. This is no small detail as to what he's doing. May I say it like this. You're a follower of Christ But you might be saying, you know, it's just too tough right now. My marriage, it's too tough. My parenting, I just, I can't handle the job, the health, the stress, the you name it. I can't trust scripture to provide. I can't trust in the Lord to be my provision or my refuge. I'm going to go to the world for refuge and relief and safety, and security. I know what the word says, but I reject the word, and I cross over to the world. I think I just will 
prefer to get drunk tonight. I'm going to go to the world's solutions and find safety and refuge and peace in the enemy, in the world, rather in what the Lord provides. It's a big deal. David is taking himself out of the protection of God and placing himself in the hands of the enemy. And so when you reject God's community, when you reject God's word, when you reject God's provisions, you begin to look to other sources to provide for you a sense of safety and peace and refuge. And I want you to hear me say, you are in danger in doing so. So we pick up in verse three, and David lived with Ashish at Gath, and he and his men and every man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of Carmel, Nabal's widow. And when it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, he no longer sought him. Huh, problem solved. Maybe it was a good idea for David to go. No, no, we'll see how this works out. But we might think, pragmatically. We might think, well, it's working, right? And if it's working, it must be a good thing. Or if it's working, it must be a God thing, is how we might think about things such as this. Warning number two. You can have a pragmatic approach to Scripture, meaning sometimes people come to Scripture like it's a buffet table, right? Like, I like this, I like this, I don't like these. I'm going to pass on this. Oh, but I really like this. That's not what scripture is. It's not a buffet table. It's the word of God. And the word of God is not called to submit to our whims as if it's something that we would approach pragmatically, but we are to submit to it. And so here we have David and perhaps he's going, well, it worked. Saul's no longer chasing me. This is a good thing, right? He now has safety. He's free. That's good, right? The answer is no. He has received the right thing the wrong way here. He has received safety, but he's rejected the Lord in doing so. And his safety, well, it's momentary. There will be consequences to his foolishness. So let's pick up verse number five. Then David said to Ashish, if I have found Favor in your eyes, let a place be given me in one of the country towns that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? So that day, Achish gave him Ziklag. Therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. And the number of the days that David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months, uh, almost a year and a half. We're not talking about a weekend. Now, David and his men went up and made raids against the Gershurites the Gerzites and the Amicalites, for these were the inhabitants of the land from of old and as far as sure to the land of Egypt. And David would strike the land and would leave neither man nor woman alive, but would take away the sheep, oxen, donkeys, camels, garments, and come back to Achish. When Achish asked, where have you made a raid today? David said, and he lies, he lies here, against the Negev of Judah or against the Negev of uh, Jerahamites, Mehites, Melites. <laughs> yeah, just keep swinging. <laughs> Against the Negev of the Kenites. And David would leave neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath. Right? Dead men tell no tales. 
All right, we got we to gotta, we gotta destroy them all um, so they can't expose the lie that he's presenting to Achish. Lest they should tell about us and say, so David has done. Such was his custom all the while he lived in the country of the Philistines. So year and a half of that. So David is, is winning. What's happening here is he's winning the trust of the foreign king who is the enemy. And he's lying to get there. And then he's annihilating those that he's doing battle with to make sure that they stay, remain quiet. And he does all of this for his own self-protection. He's traded, right? He's making some trades. He's traded land, uh, the promised land for enemy land. He's traded truth for a lie. And it's interesting because uh, there's no text here that you will find that would say something like, and so David sought the Lord. We've seen it at other times. We do not see that here in this text. Well, thankfully, after Gath, we have Psalm 34. And I just want to read, read it in its entirety later, but verse 13 and 14. This is, this is the post-run to enemy territory scripture. He says, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Trinity, seek your salvation in the Lord. Run to the Lord. Never once has the Lord left you. Never once has he been unfaithful to you. Do not seek your salvation in your own strength. Do not seek your salvation by running to enemy territory, the world. You will think things are going good now. Look, I'm running to the enemy. Things, it's working out for me. But you will not find salvation in the arms of the enemy. And so we have verse 12. We pick up, and Achish trusted David, thinking he has made himself an utter stench to his people. Why is he an utter stench? Because he's attacking his own people. At least that's what he's telling Achish. Therefore, he will always be my servant. Okay, well, that, that's notching it up a level. Achish is now trusting David, and uh, thus begins consequences. Verse 1, chapter 28. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. All right, so here's the consequences of going to the enemy's territory, of crossing over, of lying to the king, and building trust in that king. Um, you're, you're with me. We're, we're going to go fight your people together, arm in arm. It gets worse. Verse two, David said to Achish, very well. I mean, I imagine him stammering when he's saying it. You shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Oh, crud. What a mess our running and our, our lies weave. You know, in the Old Testament, there was no salvation outside of the promised land of God. And in the New Testament, there is no salvation outside of the promised Savior, who is God. 
Church, run to Christ in your troubles. Run to Christ. He is the refuge. Stop flirting with this world and the things that this world offers us. Stop crossing over into enemy territory for a sense of peace and security and refuge and protection. It's not to be found there. Even if momentarily you think, wow, this is kind of working out. Saul has stopped chasing me. Run to Christ in your trouble. Your protection won't be found over amongst the world in in the enemy's camp or amongst the world's answers. And again, you might be saying, but it's working. Saul gave up the chase. Friends, let us submit ourselves to scripture, not to what seems to be working. We don't submit to what's working. We submit to God. We submit to his word. We submit to his truth. And we trust even when it appears or it feels like, oh, this isn't working for me. Oh, I will trust in you, Lord. How is it that we would say, I trust in you for my eternal salvation, but today, in these kind of circumstances, I'm going to look to the world for my hope today. And so I submit to the word when it works for me. Church, let us lay down our lives for the king. The king. Number two, the current king flees to darkness. So one king runs to the enemy. The next chapter, the other king runs to darkness. If we think, David, what are you doing? You're running. What what a mess you're creating. Somehow, King Saul finds a way to one-up. David. Samuel is dead. So Saul flees to the witch of Endor. Now, that just... You can't, you can't improve on this. I, the witch of Endor. I mean, like, really? Really, it, it, it gets better. Verse 3, now Samuel had died. All right, so we, we read that last week. He, it's repeated here. Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped um, at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. All right, now remember, this is the mighty king, right? Because we're told over and over again, he's Head and shoulders above everyone else. He's tall. He's handsome. He is kingly. Make this guy the king. He even now has an army. And he's afraid. And he's trembling greatly because the Philistines have gathered. Oh, boy. Find us another king. Verse 6. And when Samuel inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Notice it doesn't say, or by priests. There are no priests. He's killed them all, minus one who escaped. Saul seeks the Lord, but why? Why is Saul seeking the Lord? He's already rejected the Lord. 
multiple times. He's, he, he hasn't listened to the Lord in the past. He really isn't interested in the Lord. He isn't interested in the Lord's answer. He wants the Lord to give him what he wants. Be careful here. Maybe we call it warning number three, right? Be careful that when we pray to God, we don't pray on our terms. No, we don't name and claim anything. We don't impose on the Lord. He's the Lord. We submit to the Lord. And so we don't come to him on our terms. God, give me what I want. He comes to the Lord, inquiring of the Lord on his own terms because he wants to hear what he wants to hear. And the Lord, it says, the Lord didn't answer him. Well, of course not. Why would he? He's been speaking to him through Samuel prior throughout this book. He's not listened to the priest or to Samuel. So why would he speak now? He's seeking God not for the glory of God, but for his own plans, his own desires. He he wants to hunt and kill the future king. That's the future king. So the Lord is silent. He doesn't want to hear from the Lord or his answers. So Samuel is dead. The priests are dead, as I said. And the silence from the Lord is deafening. It's killing him. It's got to hear. Listen how Chronicles sums this up. Chronicles 10, 13. So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the command of the Lord. So he did not listen to the Lord. He also consulted a medium. We're going to read about that in a moment. Seeking guidance. He didn't seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. Saul sought God on Saul's terms. He wanted a puppet God. He wanted to keep God on his strings. He wanted to be the king. He wanted to be what's in control. He didn't get what he wanted. He was not about obedience to God. He was about self. Saul's heart is exposed here, so he flees. He too crosses over. David crosses over to the enemy here Saul crosses over to absolute darkness. He goes to a medium. He goes to a witch. God is silent. So he figures, well, if God's going to be silent, let me go and seek the Lord via Samuel who's dead through a witch. Of which we already read, he's put all those uh, witches, if you will, out. So, yeah, okay. Let me go hear from the Lord from the medium at Endor. Verse 7, then Saul said to his servant, seek out for me a woman who is a medium. Remember verse 2, he's put all those people out that I may go to her and inquire of her. Oh boy. And his servant said to him, behold, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself, put on other garments and went He's disguised because he's put these people out. You can't go (laughs) to this woman. Disguised himself, put on other garments, went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. And the woman said, surely, you know what Saul has done. 
how he has cut off time out. We're going to see some pretty like crazy stuff here in a moment. But just notice she can't perceive who he is. Like power is limited in the dark, <laughs> in the darkness. Um, it's dark. Yeah, he comes to her in the dark, by the way. Uh, so uh, don't you know, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Listen to what Saul does. But Saul swore to her by the Lord. I, I almost just want to talk to the text and go, how do you dare? As the Lord lives, he says, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Verse 11, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? He said, bring up Samuel for me. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. Since God is silent, since the Lord is not speaking to me, Let's bring up the guy that the Lord spoke to. And when he spoke to him, he then spoke to Saul. And I didn't listen to him when the Lord spoke to him. So let's bring him up. What's he going to say? What are we doing here? Let's go to a witch. And I, okay, all right. It needs to be said loud and clear this morning. Don't play with the things of darkness. What are we doing here? The things of this world. Now, there's 10,000 questions about this text of which I'm not going to answer 10,000 of them. Because I have all those questions too. We want to know, how did this happen? Did it really happen? Can a witch really do this? Can she really call up the dead? Well, she did here. I don't know. All right? I got a lot of I don't knows in this text. And I'm comfortable with that. But she did here. And we know that. Scripture tells us that. Clearly there is power in darkness. And yet we also know God is sovereign over all. All, and so I just leave you with that. You can go home, wrestle, wrestle with that, and <laughs> talk with your family and try to work that one out. So I can't answer all the questions, not going to try to, and it's not really the point of the text anyways. Let's be careful in wanting to know what is going on here. We might miss the point <laughs> as to what's going on here. So here we go. Saul ran from God because he didn't get what he wanted from God initially anyways, to then run to the darkness. Some, you might be here this morning, you want to play around with the world. You might want to play around with fortune tellers and tarot cards and astrology. Those things are not from God. It makes no sense for the follower of Christ to go pursue these things that are darkness. Why would we pursue that? What's the point? What's the goal in pursuing? What does that say about one's faith in the Lord? You say, well, the Lord's been silent. Let me go to these other mediums. What's your value of scripture by saying that? Have you searched the scriptures? Or is it just easy and simple to run to just some of these things of darkness? He went there because the Lord was silent. But he's got another option, right? His other option is repent. 
It's not run to the world for your solution. It's repent and seek the Lord. The Lord will not be silent to you. So perhaps, perhaps you would say, you know, it hasn't worked for me. And it's always kind of interesting. What, what hasn't worked for me? Well, I've, I've tried God. I've tried prayer. I prayed about things. Um, and I don't have my answer. And so I'm going to cross into the world of darkness. I'm going to move against the word of God. He moves even against his own words. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry the unbeliever. I'm going to move in with the boyfriend. I'm going to occasionally get drunk. It's, it's okay, right? And when we try God, uh, God then doesn't give them or us the answer that we want or that the Bible gives. We, we don't try God. We search the scriptures. What does the Lord say about these different things that I've mentioned? And we don't take it, uh, this pragmatic approach where I've had folks come to me and say, well, I'm moving in with my boyfriend because that's working out for us. Well, pragmatically, it might be today and it's not gonna work out. We don't go to the world for our solutions or our safety, security. We don't go to the world when we come to the Bible and we just don't like what the Lord has already said. The Lord has already spoken to Saul. He didn't like it. And so he rejects God to then go to the world to somehow summit Samuel to hear from God. Saul. What are we doing? Saul doesn't want God. He wants to be God. He's looking for, you know, individuals have come to me and said, hey, can I move in my boyfriend? No, you can't do the scripture. Da, da, da. Are you a believer? I said, and then the next thing I hear is, well, they went to someone in the world and asked them and got their approval. We're just going to keep finding, looking. Let me find a counselor who tell me that I can do what I want to do. That's, that's Saul. So what's Samuel going to say to him? I reject God. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to run to the enemy, to darkness, for the answers that I seek, so I can do what I want to do. Because the God thing for Saul didn't work out for him. It didn't work out for him because he didn't want to submit to him. So verse 12, when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. I hear this, right? I, I can't help it. I hear it through movies that I've seen. I hear a shriek, you know? Like, I got an image of this, so do you. You know, like, something crazy's going on here. She cried out with a loud voice, it's Samuel. The woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You're Saul. <laughs> the king said to her, do not be afraid. Oh, how so many things, right? That's, that's, that's words of the Lord. Do not be afraid. 
What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Wow. Okay. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. And he doesn't mention the priest because he didn't want to tell Samuel, I killed all of them. Therefore, I've summoned you to tell me what shall I do? Samuel's saying, why are you bothering me? Why, why speak to me when the Lord is silent? You didn't listen to me when I was alive. Right? Why do you call on me now? Verse 15, he tells him, I summoned you so you could tell me what to do. Well, you, you should have repented and sought the, the Lord. Instead, you've rejected him. And look at where you now find yourself. Now, here's the craziest part. He gets what he wants, but not what he wants. He's going to hear from the Lord here. The Lord will end his silence through Samuel, and it's not what he wants to hear. Let's read verse 16. And Samuel said, why? Why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord, I've, he's saying, I've already told you, Saul. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand. He already spoke that and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. That's chapter 15. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. You, you want to end the silence? Here's the end of the silence. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the land hand of the Philistines. You're, you're, tomorrow you die. That's what he's saying. And you might be here this morning and you might be rejecting God. You might be okay with God. It's not like you're just dead set in your heart, in your mind. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to reject the Lord. You're open to him. But is he king? Is he the ruler of your life? Are you submitted to him? Because you've got to read this and recognize there is a day of reckoning for all of us. You're just expecting that on that day that he's going to be the all-forgiving grandpa. He's going to open his arms and for all people everywhere, he's just going to welcome everybody into heaven and we're just going to live eternally happy and blessed. Friend, you reject the word of God in that thinking. And you turn around and you say, give me a word, Lord. I want to hear, wh wh why the silence? Oh, the Lord is speaking this morning, do not reject the word of the Lord. Friend, like Saul, you can repent. You can do that right where you sit. You can do that today. The Lord is my salvation. Samuel's message was basically the Lord is king in Israel. He is sovereign. We don't have time, but reread it. How many times he says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. He is saying, the Lord is king in Israel, not you, Saul. 
Well, the last five verses, you can read them later in your own time, but here's a very quick summary. Saul falls apart. And of all things, who will care for him? The witch. The medium there in Endor cares for him and provides for him. Saul finds himself now being provided for and comforted by darkness. I guess we could call this Saul's Last Supper. And I don't say that in any sort of humorous way. It is tragic. It is, wow. It's his last meal. He will soon die and he will do so in his sin. And it reminds me of Isaiah 55 that tells us, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. So one king, the future king, he flees to the enemy. The current king flees to darkness. And what have we been saying week after week? There's three kings in Israel. The third king never runs. He never flees. Christ the king never fled. He faced his enemies. He didn't cross over to his enemies. He faced his enemies. He faced the devil himself. He faced temptation by darkness in the wilderness. And he did not flee. This king never Fleas. Christ the King had a Last Supper. And we're told that after that meal, Judas went out and he was determined to betray him. And the worship team, if you would join me on the platform. Judas goes out, he's determined to betray Christ. Christ was betrayed before the soldiers. He did not flee. Rather than fleeing, what did Christ do? He went to the cross. He was not afraid. Our kings here in this text, they, they do what they do out of fear. Rather than faith. He went to the cross. He did so without fear. He did so without running away. He could have ran. Christ could have ran. Christ could have, could have fled. He could have escaped. And in doing so, what? You and I face sin and death. He went to the cross. He was crucified. We might even say he crossed over. Wait, what? Okay, he, he crossed over in that he took our sins on himself. He became sin. For us, on our behalf, he substituted himself in our place. This is what the king does. Run to the king this morning. Never has he ever failed you, forgotten you, forsaken you. He was forsaken so that you and I would not be forsaken. He received darkness so that you and I might come to light. He took on death so that you and I might be freed from death. Church, this is your king. He's the king of kings. We don't look to other kings. We don't look to other governments. 
We don't look to anywhere other than where salvation might be found. And it's found in King Jesus, who died for your sins, went to the cross, died, three days later, rose from the grave, ascended to the Father. He's interceding at the right hand of the Father for you today. He went to darkness to deliver you from darkness, to bring you to the light. Oh, friends, all of us, receive him. Don't run from him. Run to your Lord, the King forever. Let's stand. Let's worship our God.